Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We will help you keep it running thanks to the help we get from Nick Stauffer from Lloyd's Automotive on beautiful Grand Avenue in St. Paul. Good morning, Nick. Good morning. Good to see you again. Saw you a few days ago. Boy, you guys were busy there at Lloyd's. My goodness. You know, that's what happens when, even though the, the weather's been slow to change, when things start to change a little bit, we tend to really pick up. You almost put me in a bay to get to work. Maybe I could sweep up or something. The opportunity's there. If you're ever looking for a little <laughs> extra a little side money, a little part-time job, I'll find you, something for you. you know, uh, I got a few tools, but uh, I don't think they do the job. But uh, you guys are busy for good reason. But it was good to see. I, I brought uh, the vehicle in uh, for an oil change. And uh, wow, just crazy. But Dan's taking the day off today. Dan is taking the day off. We've you're, had a, a long... Actually, it's been a probably a good six, seven weeks where it's just been nonstop and trying to get all our customers ready for the holidays yeah, and, what, yeah. you know, like next week the weather's changing again. So, you know, it's never too late to get that car ready for whether it's a, a road trip to grandma's house or just the fact that winter is going to happen. So if you've been neglecting that and putting it off, it sounds like coming next week we're going to get the full full effect of it. And what about snow tires? Dan had mentioned that uh, a lot of folks want the snow tires put on. You know, as you know, years and years ago, they had snow tires, and they were kind of a big, knobby, cumbersome-type yeah. tire. Well, they're not like that anymore. Um, they're a very soft compound. They're designed to ha- give you great traction in snow and ice and all those different winter-type driving. Um, that being said, not all cars need them. Um, would any car be better with them? Yes. Okay. But if you have a good all-season front-wheel drive vehicle, which they all are, even an all-wheel drive vehicle, it's probably not necessary um, but if you have the means and you want a little more comfort or confidence, it's not the worst idea. But keep in mind, sometimes those false confidences oh, get yes. us into trouble. We've all seen it. You're going down the highway and you see that big 4x4 truck will whizzing by you and then another mile down the road, he's in the ditch. So yeah. just because you have traction to get going doesn't mean you necessarily can stop as well. So if you have snow tires, congratulations. They, they work well, but keep in mind that they can come up and bite you too. Yeah, and don't keep taking them on and off if you have the money to uh, get some new wheels for them. That's another thing, too. I, I actually don't know how many times a tire should or should not be mounted, but my opinion is to get a second set of wheels, something that might not corrode as much, something yeah. that can handle and put up maybe more of the the salt and the grime that we have. Um, and then, like you said, just rotate them. So therefore, number one, your tires get rotated Every other, you know, and they last twice as long because they're yeah. only on for half the year. So if you have a newer vehicle and you really are thinking about doing it, um, just find a nice winter tire wheel combo and then rotate them on here and then come s- springtime, summertime, April, switch them back. There you go. And find a place to store them. <laughs> got to find a place to store them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's the hard part. Yeah. If you have a car care kind of question, uh, you want to uh, talk to this guy, Nick Stoffel. He is an ASC certified technician at Lloyd's in St. Paul. We'll tell you where. But uh, we take your phone calls as we have for about 20-some years. Uh, or uh, send a text. Some folks are already doing that, Nick. But here's the phone. We've cleared the line, so if you want to call in your questions, 651-989-9226, or send Nick a text, 81807-81807. A text came in earlier this morning, Nick, um, to, to a 2003 Jeep Grand Cherokee. 
Uh, the heater's stuck on defrost only. The manual does not show a fuse. Any thoughts? Depending how the system's controlled, you know, um, 2003 might be old. There might still be cables. Um, if it's a system that's controlled by cables, um, you know, there's a lever on the dash that has a cable that runs to a blend door or a mode door on the heater box. And if that door is bound, if the uh, handle is damaged some way or even the cables can bind up, that, that'll create a problem you can't switch them and something might actually break. If it's electrically controlled, when you turn the knob on the dash, you're sending a signal electrically to a uh, actuator, a little motor, that then moves that door. So if you're actuating and it's not moving, either the controller's gone bad, possibly the motor's gone bad, or in fact maybe the, the door itself is cracked or broken so it can't rotate. So obviously, you know, moving into the, the season here, you probably won't have someone assess that. Um, you don't want to end up with cold feet. If someone, you and I were talking kind of about this uh, issue uh, before we went on the air, about uh, a check engine light. If somebody has a check engine light that goes on, and then maybe next time they drive it, it goes off, is, there, is that something they should, they should bring it in, or can they, should they bring it in only when the light remains on? It, it kind of depends on the, the situation. Um, if it's come in one time and it was off the next day and haven't seen it for three weeks, I would probably disregard it. Okay. You know, like we talk about gas caps and that type of yeah. stuff. A, a one-time fault isn't the end of the world. Our, everything in our lives have a one-time fault and we continue to go on. So, But if it's something like, boy, it's on for a day and it's off for two and it's on for three and off for one, yeah. there's something going on there. The car is giving you a warning and a heads up like, I don't like something. It doesn't always fail, but it's failing more often than not. Um, and with that, that one light giving you all of your warning, you got to be careful. You know, keep in mind, you know, if you lift the gas cap off, that's not really going to affect you driving across the city or across the country for that matter. But if you have a, a misfire that's created that you're not aware of, and you get on the interstate and you get three hours into a drive, and then all of a sudden you have a car that's chugging and lack of power and, it's, you know, the lights are flashing. That's bad. That's bad. But you only have one light that gives you that warning. So, okay. you know, don't don't think the light's just, the, you know, the idiot light because there's some real life problems that can get created from that. So if you're going on a road trip for the holidays, if you're, it's getting cold, if that light's been coming and going, at least have somebody just take a peek. Yeah. At least give you peace of mind and go on from there. Let's go to the phones before we take a break. Barry is calling from uh, Egan. Barry, you're on with Nick. Hi. Um, I inherited a 2007 Buick Lucerne from my mother-in-law when she stopped driving. I got it in 2008 with 7,000 miles. It now has about 112,000 miles. And for the first 100,000 miles, the car, it's got a V6 engine. It would consume a uh, a quart of oil about every 800 to 1,000 miles. At or about the 100,000-mile mark, it would go 3,000 miles, an oil change, with consuming a quart. What's going on where, as it got older, it consumed less oil? kind of opposite what you would typically think. Um, maybe, you know, if it's burning oil, it's either going up or down, down meaning through the rings, up through the valve train. Um, I would guess that things have, I don't say gummed up, but carboned up a little bit. Maybe there's less less an opportunity for blow-by. Maybe the type of oil is different. Lesser expensive oils do tend to have a higher burn rate. Um, you know, I would keep a close eye on it. I don't think there's anything you should do. It's nice to know that you're saving a few extra dollars, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than the fact that something is, you know, carbon up, I guess is the lack of a better description, that's maybe allowing for less of that blow-by. So I wouldn't 
you know, 112,000 miles, the car is, you know, a dozen years old, I would uh, keep an eye on it, keep checking it, keep it full. As long as it's not making a mess on the ground, yeah. it's not affecting how the car is running or affecting fuel economy or any of that, I would just kind of keep an eye on it. Interesting question, though. That's opposite of what you think. Yeah. Thanks, Barry. We have to take a break. Tom, you're going to be next, then we'll get some text messages uh, answered here. Uh, a text number, by the way, is 81807, if you prefer that method. Or call us. I see a line open. 651-989-9226. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to CCO's Car Care Show. Danny along here with Nick Stoffel from Lloyd's Automotive, which is located where? In the capital city of St. Paul, we're at 982 Grand Avenue, which is two blocks east of Lexington Parkway. If you ever have to call us, you can get us at 651-228-1316. And if you're on the Internet, uh, it's lloydsautomotive.net, and that's L-L-O-Y-D-S automotive.net. Very good. Let's put you back to work, Nick. Tom and Crystal has been waiting to ask you. Go ahead, Tom. Thank you. Morning, gentlemen. Um, my son has a 2008 GMC Envoy, the trouble code P0420 comes up, which is the catalytic converters. He replaced them a few years ago, and now the same trouble code is coming back up. He used GM converters on it, and they're welded in. Is there anything he can do? So if they're an original equipment converter is the first step, and you said that they were, so that's good. The second thing is, you know, the, the computer system can only flag a code by the information that it's getting. So the, the efficiency fault code, the 420 code that you're referring to, says that the converter is no longer efficient at cleaning the exhaust. It gets that information from the oxygen sensors. So what it's doing is it's comparing the forward sensor, the one in front of the converter. So as the exhaust comes out the engine, it goes by the first sensor. It reads the amount of oxygen in there, and it's switching rapidly. Then it goes through the converter, which is essentially a filter, and burns off all the excess of stuff. Then it comes out the back of the converter, and there's a second sensor there, which should be nice and smooth. So what happens is that all of a sudden we see a situation where the sensors are mirroring themselves. tells us that the converter is no longer working properly. However, if one of the sensors is failing and not reading properly, the computer system could be confused by that and flag that same code. So somebody needs to get into those individual oxygen sensors and actually read them to see what they're saying. And if they're reading accurately... Then when you have a defective part with the converter, if they're not reading it accurately, then likely you need one of the sensors. All right. Hopefully I explained that well. Very good. Yes, you did. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Craig is calling from Somerset uh, with a question. Uh, good morning, Craig. Good morning, guys. Um, my daughter has a 2002 uh, Chevy pickup truck, and when she goes to fill the gas tank, uh, keeps kicking off the pump. Um, you can't. It takes almost 15 minutes to put gas into the, the vehicle and fill the tank up. Um, it's just a really super slow fill. And do they need? Is there a sensor in the filler pipe or something that needs to be replaced? So likely what's happening is, and we were talking about this off the air again, about the check engine light and the, the evaporative emission system. This is a, most likely a fault with the evaporative system. What happens is as you're adding fuel to the car, you're, you're displacing all that air with liquid. And the air needs to go somewhere. So the air comes back up the tube. Well, the way that the nozzles are designed is when they see that back pressure, the nozzle kicks off. So the fact that there's a problem within the evaporative system, that it's not containing or collecting those vapors as you're adding fuel, it's going to keep kicking up. So somebody will have to get in there, 
check to see if there's something that's restricted, something's plugged, something's just not operating properly. So if you take it to your mechanic, they should be able to make fairly quick work of it. Uh, but yeah, it's very frustrating. Um, you know, I don't know whether or not the check engine light is on in this case, but sometimes it will be on. It'll give you kind of an an odd code about a evap flow or something like that. Um, but yeah, it can be really annoying. So it, it doesn't affect how the car runs, but it affects us because it takes a it takes 20, forever to put, put gas in it, gas and then it's in, getting yeah. colder out. So have somebody take a look at that before uh, she freezes her fingers off trying to fill yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. So get it checked. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Craig. Good luck to her. Uh, let's see. I was looking at a text message. We've got uh, some of those I don't want to ignore either. Here's a question for Nick. I have a 2012 Kia Sportage, 50,000 miles on it. I was just told that uh, I need both front and back brakes. A, isn't it kind of soon for that? And B, what do you think it's going to cost me? You think it's early at 50000 on the, on the brakes? Yes and no. Um, if you live in the outer ring suburbs and you take the interstate every day and you don't stop off, and yeah, it seems kind of early. But if you're in city traffic, driving a lot, if you're an aggressive driver, you know, there's no more normal with cars because we all drive so differently. Cars are all designed so differently. You know, fifty thousand isn't horribly early. You know, I, I think sixty-five thousand would be something more that we would like to um, have, but in this case, not. And then cost. You know, brakes, brakes, brakes. Price and quality are exactly proportional. You can get a brake job for two hundred dollars, but don't do that. The car is new enough; it's got low enough miles. Realistically, you're probably in that upper three hundred dollar price range with a good quality part. All right, very good. Let's see. Who uh, here's another text just came in. By the way, the text number is eight one eight zero seven. That will take a quick break. Keep in mind, Nick is going to be with us just till about seven forty five this morning. So don't wait if you have a question to ask. I can smell texter says antifreeze sometimes, and sometimes my windshield will steam over, but I never see a leak anywhere. What could, what could uh, that be? Danny, you can answer this one. I'd say it's a heater core. Absolutely. How about that? So we used to see that all the time. Not as much anymore, but we can all remember when we were younger where the windshield would be all fogged up and you'd try to wipe it off and it's just smear it. would get yeah, worse and yeah. worse, and you're like, what's going on here? So likely the heater core developed a small leak. When we run the defrost, which we need to clear our window, it has a fine mist of this stuff yeah. that just sticks to the glass, and it takes a lot of Windex and a lot of paper towels to clean it off. The truth, though, is you need to have that fixed because that can become very dangerous. You might be on a oh. cold day, your window's not def- clearing, so you got that added ice there and then antifreeze there, and it's just dangerous. You know, we all remember seeing someone going down the road with that little small spot in the window. Yes. <laughs> Don't do that. That's really, really dangerous. So It, it can also, can it not, uh, Nick, leave uh, on a passenger side uh, floor? Some, if, if, uh, if, if the leak gets bad enough, yeah, it'll yeah. start uh, collecting and creating a, a puddle. Uh, it can be very corrosive and very hard on other items, too. So just, and, and unfortunately, it's probably expensive, so I'm trying to be careful there. Um, but it's not something you should ignore. It's going to affect right. your heat. The engine can overheat. You won't be able to see. Um, have someone yeah. look at it. Do it. All right. Hang on, Nick. We'll take a quick break here. We'll have more car care to come. 651-989-9226. Or again, the text number is 81807. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to CCO's Car Care Show. We're around for another few minutes before Jack Farrell brings us his wine chat. Nick Stoffel is in for uh, Dan today from Lloyd's Automotive, and uh, well, we have callers, Nick, and we have texters. Too. Let's see how many, how many folks we can help before you take your leave today. Uh, who's first? Kevin is calling from Forest Lake. Thanks, Kevin. What is your question for Nick? 
Yeah, I have a 2013 F-150, and my radio works perfectly until I the fall and winter when I start using my heat. After about a half an hour, the speakers and everything start to get real raspy, and you know you shut it off, let it cool down, then it works fine for another half hour. I brought it in and had Ford look at it. They said there's something wrong with the speakers. They did something with the speakers. Same thing still happens. My guess it's not the speakers. There's interference there. So, you know, if you can, going way, way back, you know, cars used to have, you'd hear that. You'd rev the engine, you'd hear yeah. it on the radio. You know, and that was like a, an RF interference. And the same thing's happening here. Um, after the car warms up, something's changing. There's um, some leakage and some wiring or some ignition system. Something's backfeeding somehow. Easy said, hard to figure out. Um, so, you know, maybe go back to the Ford dealership and say, hey, this is, it's not working. You know, obviously they have the, it's new enough of a vehicle. They have the capability and the parts. Um, you know, if they don't have much luck there, maybe try a different dealership. Um, I can imagine how frustrating it would be not to be listening yeah. to WCCO after a little while. Um, so I would stick with it and just say, hey, is it possible that something's interfering with this? Something's giving it, you know, maybe a little bit of voltage leaking or, or an RF signal, something from one of the ignition coils, something that can have an effect like that. And the key is it's once it warms up. So, they're going to have to kind of put their, their hard hat on there and kind of put a thinking cap on there and yeah. try to figure out what, what's changing as it heats up. Something's getting hot and changing. Yeah. So it's a good one. Uh, it might cost a little bit, but uh, it's probably worth it in the long run. You'd have to do a little detective work if uh, if uh, Kevin brought uh, the vehicle in. Yeah, I mean, like, well, and, and be prepared to leave it with them. You know, it's yeah. one of those situations where it's like, okay, this is out of the box. This isn't the typical repair uh, we want to be efficient with our time and your money, so let's try to you know leave the car with me. Give me a day or two with it. Let's see if we can't get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Now, yeah, good luck, Kevin. That's frustrating. Peter is calling from Waverly with a question. Good morning, Peter. Yes. Good morning. I have a question. I have a. I have two. <laughs> trouble with two cars. I have a 2000 Expedition. The, the ABS light came on. The pump keeps running. I unplugged it. I've been driving without ABS, and I'm worried about the winter coming. Now, if we if we hook it up to your uh, checking tool, can you tell me exactly uh, what it is? Or being the pump keeps running, does that mean a major deal? The other thing is I have a 95 F-150 with a 302 in it. Uh, I've replaced all the... It, emissions except the knock sensor and now they're telling me the knock sensors out and you can't buy them and if I if if I can't buy them is it possible to bypass so it doesn't go into a fast idle thank you okay a lot of information there yeah. uh the, the the fast idle I'm not sure the knock sensor really wouldn't affect that that prevents pinging pre-detonation um you know it, it's you know, I would guess you'd want to get the fault code on the ABS issue. Um, yes, getting in the winter season, they have designed these anti-lock brake systems. If you're old enough, you remember what it was like without ABS. It's not fun to drive that way. You should have that looked at when you plug it in. There's a little misconception here when people think you hook up the computer to the a scan tool to the vehicle's computer, it tells you what's wrong. All that does is give you a fault code. So it'll say. There is a fault in the ABS system. It's related to the pump or it's related to the circuit or it's a, it's a functionality error. And then it's up to the technician in your shop to take that information, go to that area, and start testing. 
you know, you, you gave me a good clue. Say it keeps running. So either the accumulator is bleeding down or there's something that's some back pressure that's happening there that someone's going to have to figure out. So in your case, could it be that the pump is weak? Sure. But it could also be a mechanical issue where one of the, the valves in that body are, are stuck. So it's not allowing it to create the pressure that it wants. So definitely take it in. Have somebody retrieve the fault codes, but give them a little bit of leniency to go through and actually prove that out. With a little time, you might learn that maybe there is a sensor or a switch, or unfortunately, maybe it's the whole compressor or the pump. Uh, but before we get too much snow or get too much ice on the roads, you should have somebody look at that. All right. Let's see. Before you leave, I want to grab a text or two if we can, uh, Nick. Uh, when st- with starting a vehicle, Texter says, I have always been told to turn the key and wait for the computer to cycle. With a push-button ignition, how do you cycle the computer? Is it necessary? I don't think you need to cycle the computer, but if you don't step on the brake pedal when you push the key and it turns everything on into a run position without starting it, uh, but I can't give a reason um, why you'd want to have the computer cycle before you'd start the vehicle. I know it's not the bad idea to start the vehicle and let it run for a moment or two to allow things to kind of lubricate themselves before you hit the road, but I I have no reason to tell you that the computer needs any cycling. With uh, what, rather, Texas says, is the proper way to check your oil on a warm car or cold car? Uh, either, as long as the car has been sitting and not running for a few moments to allow all the oil to work its way back into the oil pan. Obviously, when you get out in the morning, it's sat for eight hours. Whether it's cold or hot, you pull the dipstick out, it's going to be pretty accurate. Yeah, okay. If you've been driving all day, when you shut the car off, the oil is much more fluid, so it'll work its way quicker back to the oil pan, but you still need to give it a couple moments to let it drain back in there. Speaking of oil, uh, this texter says the retail oil change places are resisting putting in Castrol 20W50 in a 160,000-mile 2002 Accord six-cylinder. My last Honda 1992 four-cylinder has 400,000 on it when sold without burning oil. Do you have an opinion on on th- these places that do not want to put in 2050? They probably don't have it. It's not that ah. common. Um it's a matter of opinion, you know. I mean, like, I don't think it's necessary. You know, the vehicle probably calls for a, a 520 or 530, a good quality motor oil at the weight that they designed the vehicle to run off is appropriate. People do all kinds of things, and if that works well for you, by all means, do it. Uh, it's just, as you probably know, harder to come by, and those quick oil change places probably don't stock it. It's probably the bigger issue. That's probably true. Let's see if we can. Do we have time? Uh, yeah, I think we have time for maybe one more. Uh, 2014 Taurus, 65,000 miles, works fine. Shall I flush radiator or drain and fill? Uh, it probably doesn't call for it to over 100,000 miles. Um, it's a matter of preference again. Maintenance is good. Can you overdo maintenance? Absolutely. You can overdo everything. Uh, but I think if a car gets to be five, six years old, 100,000 miles, uh, I think you know draining and refilling is fine. Uh, flushing is better. It's more complicated. Uh, keep in mind the newer vehicles, the heating systems and the, the, the heater hoses are more complex, so it's easier to get air caught up in the system, which can create a bleeding issue. So um, if you're going to just your regular uh, oil change type facility, they'll do a drain and fill, and the truth is that's probably sufficient. Nick, we got to head out of here. How Thank do we you. get in touch with you guys at Lloyd's? Uh, 982 Grand Avenue in St. Paul, 651 651- Two two eight one three one six and Lloyd'sAutomotive.net. Might Dan be here next week? I hope so. Because <laughs> you have work to do. We've got work to do. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, sir. Are you going to be there today? 
Yeah, I'll be there. In a few minutes, I know. But 16 minutes. <laughs> okay, good deal. Thank you, Nick. Nick Stauff from Lloyd's. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.